Good morning, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and good morning to those in the world that are not of Christ. John 3, 5 is probably the, the verse that I proclaim the most in the New Testament. As a Christian evangelist, which I'm called to, I was talking with a brother last week, and I know that Jesus in the Spirit is telling me that you will proclaim to the world, Steve, about me. You will tell them everything that I've said. You will tell them what I stress that they must do, i.e. John 3, 5. You must be born again of water and spirit to enter the kingdom of God. This is what it says. Now, some translations will say you must be born again of spirit and water. No, that's not right. You must be born again of water first, then spirit. The baby comes out in water, right? But it's not talking about that. It's talking about you must be baptized in water first because that's you giving yourself up to the Lord, away from your old life, to serve him, to devote your life to him, to follow him. Then the Spirit of God will enter you by the Holy Spirit because they can enter a clean carcass. Because at the moment, if you're not saved, you're carrying around a dead carcass. It will not enter where there's demons and wickedness. That's what it's pointing to. I've got an old 1982 New King James Version. Well, it's not old, but it's the first one that was translated from the King James. So it's the best one you can get. When you read that, it's amazing how more direct Jesus is. He's so direct in that. I've got a 2,000-year New King James Version Bible, and he's not as direct as he is in that one. Because a lot of it's getting watered down. That's what the enemy wants. A lot of these translations, like the NIV, are completely toxic. You do not read them. There's so much error in there. Words like God being taken out and put he. Why would you do that? That's because what they want to do. Sugarcoat everything. As per usual. John 3, 5. You must be born again. You mu There must be evidence of a change of character in you. So this is what you used to be like in the world. Full of filth, swearing, cursing, lying, blaspheming, fornicating, adultery. You name it. As a new creation, you won't be doing that anymore. You'll get tempted. Like I get tempted all the time, especially with two things. One is women and the other one is motorcycles. Right, I'm constantly being tempted by the enemy. I'm laying in bed and images of women come into my mind because the book Bible says that you know, even though these images may come across you and you know, the, the evil spirits may bring things into your mind, right? But don't allow them to fester and lay a nest, cast them out in the name of Jesus. Luke 10 18, we have that authority over Satan and his demons. And we should use it if we're walking in Jesus. And many of you out there are not. When I see so-called Christians, I get sad because they say they're Christians, but there's no evidence of it. There's no evidence. You look at them, they act and talk and behave just like the people in the world that are lost. That's not a Christian. You're not to swear. You're not to curse. You're not to think negative things, which you will. But as you walk with the Lord, it all changes. That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit living inside you. So I'll give you an example. Me, yesterday, I've been told by the Lord in the Spirit, let me deal with this situation you're going through in persecution, which is going to a trial date next year. And it's very stressful for me because of the amount of lies that have been told about me in these statements. The Lord has said, let me deal with it. And yesterday I went to go through these statements for my solicitor, my lawyer, and 
I, I've got this overwhelming feeling over me, and I know when it's the Lord angry with me or the Lord is warning me to stop, is my skin starts getting hot. It's like I'm being attacked spiritually. And it's him saying, hey, I'm in charge, leave it alone. So I came off of it and I said, sorry, Father, you are in charge. I'm, I'm sorry. I trust in you fully. I have faith in you fully. Just like Peter on the boat when Peter got in the water, right? And he and he started to sink and, he, and Jesus said, oh, it's such little faith. It's the same thing. And as soon as I just put my faith back in God and left it with him, that feeling went. Complete peace around me. And that's the faith we must have in Christ. We must have faith that he's in charge. People say that I've got faith, but you look at them, they're trying to fix their own bodies, they're trying to fix something in their life, they're trying to do this, trying to do that. Well, it's not faith, is it? Because faith is actually asking the Lord to do with it. And when you finish and say amen, you walk away from it. And then you have faith that he will take care of it. That's what faith is. Not saying, oh, Father, I have faith in you, then you try and do it yourself. That's not faith. You're basically pushing his will out and bringing yours back in. The main thing I want to talk about today is the evidence of a changed believer. The evidence in you. What is that evidence? When you're in the world, you're in the filth. You're in the disgust. You're an abomination to the Lord. If you died, you'd be straight in hell. Finished. Right? Where many Catholics and Calvinists and many other false denominations in Christ, i.e. the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, they're going to hell. Because they are not changed in character. That's just what Jesus is talking about in John 3, 5. You must be born again of spirit and water. Sorry, you must be born again of water and spirit. See? This is what you need to understand. You look at scripture in context. Look at the Greek and the Hebrew. It says water and spirit, not spirit and water. You must be born again of water. Baptized in the water. When you come up, the spirit then can enter you. Why? Because you've surrendered your life to God. You've given everything to him. You have now died to your old self and you are willing to serve him. Now the spirit of God can enter you to change you, to make you someone new, which takes time. That sanctification, that could take six months. It could take six years. It takes time. But all the Lord wants you to do is read the word, pray and follow him. And he does the rest in the spirit. It's a gift of eternal life. Now people say, well, if it's a gift, then you can't lose it. Yes, you can. If someone gives you a gift, they don't want anything in return. Right? You can chuck the gift away. Or if it gets to a certain situation, someone can re retract that gift. So, for example, say you've got a 16-year-old boy who just passed a driving test. You go out and buy him a, a second car. I think, you know, no matter how much money you got, I think a second-going car is all you should have of the mistakes he's going to make a car is a car the father buys a guy to get the car now it's a 30 mile an hour speed limit through town it's a 50 mile an hour speed limit on the motorway in america but he's constantly breaking the law he's been pulled over countless times now what do you think the father should do allow him to keep driving or take the vehicle off of him it's the same thing you're abusing your position in Christ. You're living in sin. You're basically pissing on the blood. Sorry to use such straight, straight words, but it's true. You're getting Jesus' precious blood that he shed on that cross. And people don't really realize this, how severe he suffered. He suffered. I want you to picture this on your mind. A man who was perfect, who's, who was wonderful in every word. Why do you think the women love Jesus? 
because he was a spinnacle, the spitting image of a man. He was the perfect image of what man is. He was a leader. He was a lover. He was a carer. He was responsible. He was genuine. He was honest. He was loyal. He was faithful. He was the perfect image of what man should be. And unfortunately today, there are none in my country I've seen. One or two here and there. But the majority of leaders are weak and pathetic. And this is why women are standing up taking charge. Because there's no men anymore. Look at society today. It's mostly run by women. And when you see them taking charge, it just doesn't fit. Things fall to pieces. The Bible says that any woman in charge of a household is a curse in the book of Proverbs. It's in the first part of the book, beginning Proverbs, between Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 10. Now, that doesn't mean women are a curse. What it means is there is order. And man was made first, and woman from the man, which is very important to God. Very important to the man. The woman is less equal to the, um, to the man. She's as equal in flesh as I am to her. But in, in the authority, in the, in the roles of what we've been given, she's not. She's not to lead and teach a man. It says that in the book of Corinthians. It says that in the book of Peter, that the woman is a weaker vessel. So therefore, if the woman's a weaker vessel, how can the weaker vessel tell the stronger vessel what to do? It says it in Corinthians, it says it in the book of Peter, it says in Timothy, 1 Timothy 2 verse 12, Paul makes it clear. Anyway, that's a different subject. And I don't want to get into roles at the moment. What I'm going to focus on is the evidence of a Christian. Now, it's very clear. There must be proof. The proof is this. You want to surrender your life. The second part is that you're born again. You, the Spirit comes into you. You believe that Jesus... Sorry, I, I went off the path there a bit. I want you to focus on what Jesus did. He suffered greatly for you. This is a man who was just the perfect man. He would have been the ultimate gentleman. The women loved him. The women flocked around him. Why? Because he's a man. He's the Alpha. He is the man of all men. And they loved him. And he loved them. Children flocked to him. The women flocked to him. And he went to a judge and said nothing. He was accused of things falsely for you. He was lied about. He was mocked. He was rejected. He was spat at. He was abused. A lot of the things I'm going through right now. And it's horrible. But the Lord said, Steve, I'm dealing with it. I've done it all. And he did it all. He carried a cross up a massive hill. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was spat at. He was abused. He was laughed at. For you. All the way up that hill. To the top of the hill in Calvary. Where he was nailed to a cross. Nailed. Picture that in your head. Massive cast iron nails being drummed through your wrists and your feet. And stuck on a cross. With everyone laughing at him. The Romans laughing at him. And his apostles and his mother looking on. Imagine how his mother felt. Imagine how his mother, a son that she bore, felt seeing her son treated like that. For you. And there's Christians out there living in sin. You're not a Christian if you live in sin. I don't want to hear this rubbish. I'll tell you straight. You are not a Christian if you are living in lies. If you're fornicating. If you're swearing. If you're cursing. If you're living how they live in the world. There must be evidence of a change in you. In John 6, 4, 4, Jesus said, No one comes to me unless the Father sends them. So the Father first has to send you to the Son. If he hasn't sent you, you're not saved. And you're not one of his. 
Now that's going to baffle some of you, isn't it? Right. So at the end of the day, you there are things that need to be done in Christ with Jesus before you can be saved. And you have to want to change. You have to want to reject the world. 1 John 2 verse 15 says, He who loves the world, the father, love for the Father is not in them. So if you love the things that man has created, the greed of money, the swearing, the cursing, the fornication, the ability to go out and sleep with any woman you want from a man's perspective or from a woman's perspective, as many boyfriends as you want, and have the freedom as you want. No, in Christ you can't do that. You would know it in the spirit if you're a Christian. You would know that you can't do these things. You would know that they're wrong. Every time you even think about it, the spirit says, Oi, you, no, don't even think about it. The guilt will come over you. You can fall into it, and then you'll feel so disgusted after, you'll be in tears. You'll be, you just, oh, it's horrible. And you are going to make mistakes. Many of you will. I have made many mistakes in many areas. But that's the whole point of repentance. That's the whole point of the blood. That you are going to trip and stumble. When you do, God comes along, he picks you up, he kisses you. Right, The blood cleanses you, you move on. That's what Jesus died for. But for the ones out there that live in sin, for you out there that live in sin, you're not my brothers and sisters. Right, There's a difference between committing sin and living in it. So an example is I'm walking down the street and my old self pops out and gets annoyed by someone who's behaving badly in the street and I say something and I shouldn't have said it. I'm sorry, Father, repent. All right, son, no problem, move on. Because you're weak. Jesus says in the book of Matthew, for the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. So the spirit wants to do the right thing, but the flesh is wicked and weak. So the other side of that is, I'm walking down the street, and I see a guy I don't like from school, and I walk up and punch him straight in the mouth and knock him straight out, and walk off laughing. That's willful sinning. Because I'm saved, I can't do salvation, can I? You see? And that's what many of you do. Well, I've got news for you. You're not a Christian. You're not born again. The Spirit of God doesn't live inside you. You've got no part in him, mate. Straight up, 100%. Look at what Scripture is saying to you. In the book of Corinthians, in the book of Romans, there must be evidence of a new creation. There must be evidence. The evidence is, once upon a time, for example, a person was really aggressive and violent, an alcoholic, a drug taker, a criminal. But as they're born again, they don't drink anymore, they don't take drugs, they don't commit crime, they work in a community centre helping children, preaching the word of God. That's the evidence, a complete change of person. Now that could take six months, or it could take six years, but that's the evidence. That's the sanctification work being done in you. But if you don't walk with it and walk against it, Hebrews 6 makes it very clear about those who walk away from the faith and will lose everything. Jesus cannot die for you twice. He died for you once. It's very simple stuff. Paul says there must be a change and evidence of a change of character. In a Catholic church, in the Church of England, Methodist Church, and many other churches, you will not see that evidence. These people act like those in the world that are lost. These people are not saved. Any someone who calls himself a Christian and acts like your neighbour who lives in the world, who's a Buddhist, who's a Hindu, who's a, a Muslim, that curses, swears and blasphemes and fornicates, they are not Christians. They want to be Christians. It's like wearing a tag. Look at me, I'm a Christian. No, you're not. Because if you stay here and the rapture comes, when the rapture happens, you won't be going anywhere, pal. You'll be staying here with the rest of the scum on this earth. It's a fact. If you die before the rapture, you're going to hell. 
So there must be evidence. You must be more loving, more kind, more considerate of others. You put others before yourself. Jesus' first commandment, love me with all your heart, soul and might first. So you put him before everything in your life. Love your neighbours yourself, second commandment. So you put people, in some respects, before yourself all the time. But you put Jesus, number one, before yourself and others before yourself. Luke 9, verse 23. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Deny what you think, deny your thoughts, deny your feelings, deny everything. Crucify the flesh from what it wants to do wickedly and follow me. And it's hard, trust me. It's, you're never going to get it perfectly right all the time. You are going to make mistakes, but if your heart is for the Lord, he knows that. But he also knows if your heart isn't. And trust me, I wouldn't want to be you in front of Jesus on Judgment Day. Because imagine him saying out, saying out in front of the angels, is her or his name in the Lamb's Book of Life? And they say no. How are you going to feel? You know, a brother of mine, he's a theologian, I love him, Dave, um, American guy from Arizona. He's, he was, I don't know if he still is now, but he's in Durham University studying for a second doctor's degree. He says, Steve, how about this? Imagine one day you get before Jesus and you just skip through the flames. So the Bible says that there will be those who all their work to be burnt up and they will just skip through the flames. So you just get in. And imagine just for hindsight's sake, there's a waiting room and Jesus comes in and goes, Mr. Prentice, well done, come here. You lot over there, sit there, I'll deal with you later. Just imagine for you in second hand, because you will. There are, high, there are high rankings in heaven. So those who have done more, like the five, two and one talent servant, the five got five more and the two got two more, but number one, he got cast into hell, right? And by the way, he has a free will and he was a Christian, so he got cast into hell. So I'm sorry, Calvinist, but uh, there are Christians that can go to hell. You know, the Bible says that. Um, John 15 as well. So imagine that. And you, you just you get in, but the king is like, well, I'm glad you're in. But I don't want to speak to you right now. I'm speaking to my other, my other uh, pastor over here who did fantastic works for me. And you feel secondhand. You're not going to feel very good, are you? You know, when you read the Bible, you see this. Paul talks about, in the book of Acts, about winning the race. I think it's in Acts 18 or 20. I think it's 20. He talks about winning the race. And his first desire is to be with his Lord. But he says this later on in the New Testament. I think it's Corinthians or Galatians. He talks about that, you know, it's better that he stays here. For he wants to be at his Lord's side now, but he knows it's better that he stay here for all of you, your sake. That is the first desire in your heart. Every Christian who's really a Christian, your first number one desire is to be with Jesus now in heaven. If Jesus came to me now or tonight in my bed, Steve, do you want to come? I'll be gone in a heartbeat. I wouldn't think twice about wanting to stay here. Now, if you have loved one here and you love them and they're Christians, you know they're safe because every single person on this earth will be given account on their own. You cannot save them. Only the Lord saves them. Their walk is between them and the Lord. It's not you, them and the Lord. Your prayers can help them, but you have faith that God will take care of them. It says in the book of, I think it's 1 Samuel, it says that a father cannot waive the sins of a son. The son cannot waive the sins of a father. In other words, when you're in heaven, you're in heaven. You cannot waive the sins of your son or vice versa. You can't do it. The Lord is not going to permit it. It's as simple as that. That is where your faith is. And number one desire should be to be with the Lord now. If it's not, then there's a question mark above you. There's someone I know, 40 years a Christian. 
And that person had the opportunity to go home. They were literally on the verge of death and they chose to stay here. Now, God doesn't invade your will, but God had, gave the person a choice. Do you want to come home with me? No, I want to stay here with my worldly family. He showed, the Lord showed us, me and my another brother, in this person's home, he showed us this. And I was gobsmacked. And my jaw hit the deck. I couldn't believe it. I was saddened for him. And, it, and the Lord showed me, he's basically taken his ministry off of him. That's betrayal. He has basically chose worldly people over his Lord. Now, he does care about his, fam his, uh, his unsafe family, his sister and other members of his family. I get that totally. And people, you know, make out that the, the Jews are more emotional than us Gentiles. That's rubbish. Complete rubbish. We're human beings, regardless of what we ethnically come from. And God loves Jew and Gentile. And at the end of the day, it would be Jew or Gentile that stands before Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Those who believe in the Son of God will have eternal life. John 3.16. So it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, black or white or green or yellow. You see? And I just want you all to focus on what I've said. Because it is a fact. You don't agree with what I've got to say? Go read the New Testament. Go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and Acts. And all the way through to Revelation. Read it. Open your heart and look for the truth. And you'll see what I'm saying is right. You'll see the truth right in front of you. That there must be a change of character. There must be evidence that you have completely changed from the old self to the new. Because if you haven't, guess what? You're not a Christian. You're not following the Lord. What you're doing is you're following a religious order. And I see it all the time in these churches. Majority of them Catholic. When you meet them, well, you've got to be a Catholic to be saved. Where does it say that in the Holy Scripture, 6,000 years of Scripture? It doesn't. They got their own version of it. And they put that above the Holy Scriptures. And the Pope is a replacement of Jesus Christ. Do you know something, right? I've got to laugh. I really have to. Because it is pathetic. And they are so deceived. But God knows the heart. You are going to go through tribulations and persecution. Paul says this in Acts 20. I've got it here somewhere. Um, bear with me one second. Bear with me one second. Yeah, Acts 20, verses 22 to 25. He talks about persecution and what you're going to go through. You're going to get it. A real Christian will get persecution. You'll get stress, anxiety, not sorry, anxiety. You're going to get persecution, which covers, yeah, stress and anxiety from it. But this is when you turn to the Lord. Persecution is something that's going to happen to you as a Christian, if you are a Christian. But if it's all la-di-da in your whole life and nothing ever goes wrong and you're blessed and you've got lots of money, I, I begin to wonder, where does it say in Scripture that God blesses people with money? If he blesses you with money, it's for his ministry, not for you. He wants you to build a church. He wants you to build a ministry. He wants you to preach the gospel around the world. Yes, you can have a home out of that and a car. You know, it makes me laugh. What sort of car would you have? You know, someone would probably say, oh, I'll get a nice Mercedes worth £50,000 or $60,000. No, you can get a Peugeot 106 1.9 turbo diesel for about 700 quid. It's the same thing. A car is a car. Right now, I have a Volvo V70. It is a tank. It is like bomb-proof. But there are times when I think to myself, do you know what, Father? You need to deal with this car because this, this car is taking up too much of my life. If it becomes too much in the future, I will get rid of it and get something a lot simpler. Because a car is a car. It gets you from A to B. That's it. If you if you think about it as a status symbol, then you're not a Christian. Because Christians wouldn't care about that. 
You see, there's got to be evidence that you're a Christian, that you don't think and act like the world does. You think and act like a child of God, how Paul did in Colossians 3.2, focus on what's above, not things of the earth. This is the evidence of a Christian. Are you walking like a Christian? That's the question mark. Examine yourself, as Paul says in the New, uh, New Testament. He says it in, I think it's in Corinthians. Examine yourselves, or was it Romans? I can't remember now. <clears throat> he says, examine yourselves. Put it on Google and type in, Paul says, we must examine ourselves. And it will come up with the scripture straight away. Are you examining yourself weekly and daily? Are you walking with the Lord? Are you praying every morning and night? You don't have to be like a Muslim that has to be five, six times a day. But I think it's healthy for a Christian to get out. As soon as you get out of bed, get on your knees. On your knees. Don't stand and don't sit. On your knees. It shows respect to our Lord. On your knees, meaning it from your heart. Speak to the Lord. Come to him in prayer. You're speaking to him direct. You're not coming through the Pope. You're speaking direct to him. <clears throat> asking him what you need done that day and his guidance and so on. And he'll probably speak back to you, which he will, and tell you what he wants done. He wants to send you somewhere. He wants you to go across country today, go to a town somewhere, and there'll be someone there you need to preach to. Then I get up, I have a coffee or tea, and then I sit there and look out the window thinking about my Lord, pick up the Bible and start reading. Sometimes I miss the Bible because I'm distracted, but that's what the enemy wants. He wants me away from that word. You see, this is why it's so important, because he is constantly after you. If you are a threat to his kingdom, those Christians out there that have ministries in pastorship, um, teachers, evangelists, if you are a threat to his kingdom, you will be the most distracted. You will be the most persecuted. You will be the most, how can I put it, um, up, um, having your feathers ruffled in a sense. Because you are, just, you are a problem to him. And you can bring people out of Satan's kingdom. Now, by the way, let me just say one thing. When I met Christians saying, well, we save people in the name of Jesus. No, you don't. You don't save anyone. I've said this to a person before. I save nobody. I preach the gospel. I sow the seed. Right? God adds the water and the growth. He's the one that does the saving, not me and not you. We proclaim the word if it's the truth, because most of you out there are not pre preaching the truth. You're preaching a sugar-coated version that Jesus was a camp guy running around kissing everyone, and no matter what you do, you're going to get to heaven. Uh, that's not true, and that's a lie of the devil. Jesus made it very clear. Just read it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Make it very clear. right? If you don't repent, you're going to go to hell. What did he say to the blind lame man on the floor? He said, number one, do you want to be healed? So he's asked his permission. Hence, we've got a free will Calvinist. Uh, and then he said, yes, yes, yes. So he, he healed him, and he got up and walked on. Later on, he saw in the synagogue, what did he say to him? Go sin no more, or worse will come upon you. Next time, you'll be blind, deaf, and dumb. Right? He's warning you. Don't push your luck. You see? But they don't teach this in churches anymore. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, the parable of the goats and the sheep. Well, the sheep were one side, the goats the other side. What do you think happened to the goats? What the, these are Christians. And Christians are people that follow Christ. Right? What happens to them? Do they go to heaven? No. Do they go to McDonald's? No. They went to hell. You see? And people don't teach this. In the book of Revelations 14, verse 9, Jesus says this, those who take the image and the mark and worship, sorry, those who take the mark or worship the mark, 
those who receive the mark and worship the image of the beast will be tormented. Let me get this straight. Tormented in front of the holy angels and the lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus. Tormented with fire and brimstone. My translation in 1982. This is interesting stuff. The 1982 New King James Version which is when the translation was complete from the King James. Right? It says fire and brimstone. In my 2001, it does not say fire and brimstone. It says they would just be tormented. So you'll be tormented with fire and brimstone for a long time. And the smoke of their torment will go up and up forever. So you're being burned and tormented forever. Just imagine that. Imagine holding your hand over a gas fire and keeping it there for a thousand years. Well, on this earth, in this flesh, you'll disintegrate and you'll be dead. But in eternity, when you go there, you will have an eternal body in hell or, or the lake of fire or in heaven. You get an eternal body. You don't die. God doesn't get rid of you. You're wicked. You live in sin. You walk with the devil. And if you walk with the devil like a pedophile does and a rapist and a mass murderer and a liar. Yeah, I'm putting liars up there as well. Liars, because you're children of Satan. It's the devil's tongue that's coming through you and you walk in that. Liars, blasphemers, curses, fornicators. You're all going there. Not one of you is going to escape. Make sure you're walking right with the Lord because you will go to hell and you will end up in the lake of fire. I promise you that. Listen to what Jesus says because if you can't handle one word he says, you don't belong to him. And if you struggle with something, please come before him and ask him, ask the Father in the name of Jesus to help you. And one of the biggest ones is forgiveness. Having forgiveness for people. That is one of the biggest ones. Having forgiveness. You must forgive. If you want the Father to forgive you of your sins, you must forgive those who have sinned against you. It's a commandment from Jesus. There's no conditions. You have conditions. The Father will say, step aside, stay over there until you say sorry, until you repent to me. Don't come to me with your conditions. I'm not listening to you. You do what I tell you to do, or you're going to go to hell and end up in the lake of fire. You must forgive. You must love and take care of one another. This is Jesus' first and second commandment. People say, oh, there's only two commandments. No. Jesus had 234 more do's and don'ts in the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Go read it. Some people are that blind and dumb and stupid that they can't see it because they live in this fantasy world that no matter what they do, it's this wickedness. Then people are not Christians. And like I said from the beginning, there must be evidence. And I hope there's evidence in you. Because I want to see all of you in the kingdom when we leave this earth. I'm going to leave it there. I love you all dearly and I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that Father, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that Lord, people listen to this. They turn to you in the name of Jesus. They answer to only you. They answer to a Pope, me, or a pastor of a church. We answer to you direct. That we are to support one another and to love one another. But more importantly, that we must be changed in character. This is the evidence. And I pray that, Lord, you do this in many people around the world. I love you all. In Jesus' name, Father. Amen. God bless you all. Bye.